Life is a series of circles and cycles, phrases and stages. These are your experiences that teach you the lessons of life. You can either ignore them or embrace them. Welcome to It's Your Life with James Cooley and Ray Leonard Jr., two motivational speakers that are here to equip you to strive for greatness and overcome adversity. Join James and Ray and get equipped today for the challenges of tomorrow. Now, here's your hosts, James Cooley and Ray Leonard Jr. Hey, welcome to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley. This is Ray Leonard Jr. Wow, Ray, man, I tell you, man, we got a jam-packed show today. Man, I am in for an educational learning, and I think that our listening audience is, is going to be in for one as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it, man. Every time we, we do it, we're doing different shows, it's not just a thing about doing a show, but it's a learning experience for, for us, and I hope that the audience is learning something as well. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, but before we get started, man, what what you been doing this week? Man, I'm I'm here uh, in D.C. My first time traveling since March third. Uh, you know, I've, I've been locked up in the house and, and not traveling as as usual. But uh, I had to come out as a major cause since uh, Justice for Vanessa Gillian, and uh, they had me speak at the uh, you know event down by the White House today. And uh, man, it is. It's so great to to finally get out the house, but you know, also be talking about a, a great cause and trying to get some justice for this young lady. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, um, I was trying to follow that earlier uh, when it first started earlier this morning, man. It seemed like uh, you guys had quite a turnout and, and um, I mean, doing some great things there. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, it's, it's D.C. is so hot right now. I mean, they, <laughs> they turn on all, all the air condition off and all the heat on. I mean, I was out there sweating in the middle of it. But you know what? When you when you when you fighting for a good cause, the show must go on. Man, you you right about that, man. I tell you, I haven't been doing a whole lot this week, man. Been trying to run away from this uh, sun. I mean, it <laughs> is hot here, man. It's hot. But uh, you know, I I do my own thing. I get up and uh, I run every day. Still doing six miles. You know, and trying to uh, stay in shape and you know, keep the immune system right so we can try to fight off this coronavirus. You know, so that's yeah, what we've been doing. You're better man than me doing all those miles. So. I, I have to, man. I had to, you know, so just, just keep sanity. And you know what? A couple other things, Ray. My wife been had me watching Hamilton. I think we done watched it three times, man. I almost know the whole thing by heart. <laughs> That, that was an amazing show. I mean, my, my, we watched it the other night with my family, my, my wife and my daughter and I. Uh, we watched it, and I was I was so surprised because you know, you thinking normally you, when you're watching a play, um, you want to be there live so you can see the, all the action, and everything was happening. But it was very well produced. The uh, you know the, the wordplay and how they told the story was very uh, exceptional. So I understand why this has been a great show for so long. So uh, no, when, once we, everything gets back to uh, to normal, we'll be able to go out and see it again. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> that's going to be great, man. I'll tell you what, man. Let me tell you about the, our guest today. First of all, the title of our show today, our listening audiences are going to learn a lot, like I said. Uh, it is called... Uh, Creating a Lasting Legacy. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about organ and tissue donation and multicultural communities. So, uh, you know, I don't know a whole, whole lot about this, about this subject, um, but our, our two guests, uh, they're special people. So I know they're going to be able to give us a lot of information um, and, and be informative to our audience. Man, I don't know anything about it, man, but I was doing my research and uh, just trying to get a better understanding so I can try to talk intelligently <laughs> about this. And, um, and, man, I was fascinated, man. So uh, we, we got our, our two fabulous guests you know, that's going to come and just like I said, talk us through this and you know, educate us and uh, let us know what the importance of, you know, uh, donors, tissue donors and, and, and all other type of things. So we got Marion Schultz uh, that's going to join us today. And we also got Bobby Harris that's, that's going to uh, help, uh, help us through this. So um, I'm looking forward to it. And so I, yeah. I I think we should bring our first guest on. You know, yeah, yeah. First... So we we have we have uh, Marion Shuck, and uh, uh, I'm reading her bio, and I'm just just pretty uh, amazed. And as a champion for human rights, human relations, and community service, uh, commitment and passion for educating and engaging people uh, are the her professional drivers. Uh, she currently serves as director, donor family services, and community outreach for the Gift of Hope Organ and Tissue Donor Network. 
and the president of, uh, for the Association of Multicultural Affairs and Transportation. Um, she holds a master's degree in human resource management uh, from St. Mary's University in Minnesota, master's degree in philosophy from Walden University, and a bachelor's degree in leadership studies from Kendall College. Uh, you know, JC, uh, she has almost as many degrees as you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great it's great to have smart people on so uh marion welcome to the show good afternoon thank you so much for having me today how you doing today marion how you doing i'm doing well uh i'm in chicago so you know we love the heat when we get it so <laughs> <welcome>. <laughs> that is the windy city oh yeah <laughs> i lived there for a little bit so i know that's, that's some serious cold up there yes yeah so so marilyn can you tell us about the Gift to Hope Organs and Tissue Donors Network? Absolutely. Um, JC and Ray, uh, the Gift of Hope is one of 58 federally mandated organ procurement organizations. And what that means is that we are all regional and we are all responsible for a designated service area that coordinates the organ and tissue donation process. Uh, meaning that we do a couple of things. One, we're the organizations that go and talk to families on the worst day of their lives when they have found out that their loved one's life is no longer sustainable. And so we have a conversation with them about um, two in two ways. One, we have a conversation if their loved one is registered to be a donor, then we help them understand the process. And then two, if their loved one is not registered, then we help to give them enough information to make an informed decision about participating in the organ and tissue donation process. We are also responsible for education and outreach for the entire United States about the importance of participating in the organ and tissue donation process. Um, we do it publicly, we do it professionally, um, we work with our legislators, our communities, and as you see from my bio, wherever people are, whether they're at work, play, home, church, um, we have to communicate, especially for our multicultural communities. Wow, that, that's, that's amazing. And you know, from not knowing a whole lot about about this this space, um, what what made you want to get involved in it, and 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 when when was it when you first started to say, okay, this is what something I want to be involved in? Uh, I was in. It's interesting. I was in corporate for a long time. I was a talent acquisition manager, um, doing recruitment, hence the the first masters in HR. Um, but then the economic downturn happened in two thousand and eight, uh, and. I realized I wanted to do something more meaningful, and so I wound up in the Gift of Hope in 2009, and I've had a great career there. I've been there, uh, again, since 2009, um, from recruitment to community outreach into the position I currently hold now as director, and my role does a couple of things. One, um, I manage donor family services, and that is the group of young women who manage donor families after they've experienced a tragic circumstance, after the hospital, after the funeral, we provide, um, and so we take care of the donor family, families through their journey, to help them through their journey, but to help them to become volunteers and help them to make sense of their loved one's um, circumstance. So we create a lasting legacy, we help them with that. And then I've always been responsible for community outreach. And we're the group that really talks to people, especially people of color, about the importance of organ and tissue donation. Because as you all can imagine, you guys don't have a lot of information about that, but that shouldn't be the case in the 21st century. Because if you take a look at statistics, one in three people is over 50 years old who needs an organ or who's transplanted, right? But then we have 114,000 people who are currently on the waiting list. Of that 114, 60% make up people of color, primarily African-Americans in Hispanic Latinx community. So there should be no reason that communities of color are not talking about organ and tissue donation. Well, you know, they, that was that was something interesting that you that you said that I, I had no idea. I mean, I, I normally when I hear about, about donors or, or, or about uh, tissue organization, I mean, that's when someone is, is, is really sick and that's the only time you ever hear about it. Um, but to, for you to say that 60% are, are minorities, like that, that is uh, amazing. And why why do you think that, that that's the case? Well, think about it. One, we, we have a healthy mistrust. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong at the time that people had the mistrust. Yes, you can have a mistrust of the health community. But as people of color, especially African-Americans, there, there have been situations um, that have allowed us not to have mistrust. But we are in the 21st century. 
and modern medicine has changed so tremendously. Uh, second of all, we, we have different lifestyles and we eat differently. And because of that mistrust, we don't always go to the doctor in time. We're late getting there. So then we're in end-stage organ failure, right? And so once you're in end-stage renal failure, you know, we've had some people who wake up, you know, they fall out, they wake up, they're in the hospital, they're on dialysis, right? And so we, we have that mistrust. I actually have a brother who is in end-stage renal failure. And for 20 years, he had a fear of going to the doctors, no matter that my younger sister, our younger sister is a nurse, and I've been in healthcare for a while, but men in particular have a healthy fear of mistrust. They don't want to go to the doctor. They want to wait for things. And so when you get there, it's too late. It's our lifestyle. It's what we eat. It's how we eat. It's how we exercise, you know? So um, I'm not saying that our community is the only community that has that but we really have it more prevalently than other communities. Wow. You know what? We're going to take a station break, and we're going to come back and continue this conversation with Mariam. It's your life. I'm James Cooley. This is Ray Leonard Jr. James and Ray have more motivation and inspiration for life's challenges still to come with It's Your Life on The Answer. Country Boy, City Boy, a journey that ain't over yet. The true life coming of age story by James J.C. Cooley. Using humor, wit, and engaging storytelling, James paints a picture about his arrival in a rural deep south town and realization that life would never be the same. Cooley lays out his struggle to adjust from city life to country life and back again, sharing his hard-earned lessons to educate, encourage, and enlighten our next generation of leaders and heroes. Get your copy of Country Boy, City Boy, a journey that ain't over yet by James J.C. Cooley available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. It's Your Life is back. For more lessons on life, visit CooleyFoundation.org. Now here's your hosts, James Cooley and Ray Leonard Jr. Welcome back to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley. This is Ray Leonard Jr. Wow, Ray, man, we're getting educated here. Marion. Who can be a donor and what is the legal age for uh, a donor? Okay, let's start with legal age. Uh, so every state can, who can be a donor and what age. We have some states like Indiana, um, you can be a donor, you can register to be a donor at 13, um, but you do need to have your parents, if something were to happen to you, your parents still get the final say. Uh, in Illinois, where I am, you can register as young as 16 and 17. And um, so it just depends, again, but normally it's 18 and up where you don't have to have anybody else's um, final determination to be a donor. So once you register at 18, that is legally binding. And what we ask is that you talk to your families and share with them that you are a registered donor and that at the, if something tragic were to happen to you, um, that you would like your organ procurement organization and your family to honor your wishes. Now, as far as who can be a donor, organ procurement organizations, we don't make a determination of who can be a donor and who cannot be a donor. What will happen is you will get to the hospital and you will determine um, through the hospital that is your hospital that's taking care of you. And they will do everything, and I mean everything, to take care of you before they can make a determination of whether you can proceed to be an organ or tissue donor. So once that pronouncement has come, then they will talk to the family and say, okay, we, we, we've met this, we're at this circumstance where your loved one's life is not survivable. And so those doctors will make the determination. And then they will work with the gift of hope to, um, sorry about that, they'll work with the gift of hope to be able to uh, make that decision and what organs can and cannot be transplanted. But it's really about, one, the situation that you're in, what has transpired to you, um, what are your, um, your medical history, what are your medical circumstances at that time. And so we will um, be able to do, um, make that determination, right? So we don't get to make that determination. It's all done in the hospital. And then Gift of Hope is secondary after it's been determined by that doctor who's done everything possible to take care of you before we get to that diagnosis. 
I'm learning something every day uh, because, you know, as, in my, my consulting business, we had a client that uh, had Kenny Dallas facilities mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico. And so we'd go and we'd meet with them and do training for them. Um, but as far as the, the donors were concerned, and, you know, everyone that needed a kidney, um, you know, a lot of times it's from their family. But so can you can you tell me how, to, how that works and from uh, whether, you know, it's just why is it so, so often a family member or do you have people from that, that donate, you know, uh, different organs that, you know, just go on a list or something like that? Yeah, so th there are two types of donors. There's a donation from a deceased donor, and then there's living don donation from a relative or someone you know or somebody who's an altruistic donor. That's um, you put the license, right? Yes. No, 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 no. Yeah, the deceased donor is on your driver's license. Okay. And you're in an opt-in system. You have opted to be okay. an organ donor at the end of your life. Okay. Living donor is someone who says, um, I want to donate a kidney because remember, you only need one kidney to survive. Um, I want to give a part of my liver. We can take a part of the liver. The liver regenerates. We can put that part into an infant or to an adult and your liver will regenerate, right? So those are the two ways you can be an organ donor, a living organ donor. And so we, Bobby and I work for organ procurement organizations. And our main job is the cease donation, coordinating the cease donation process. Living donation is handled primarily through your transplant center. And so you would come in, for case in point, so I mentioned earlier that my brother is in end-stage renal failure. And so my twin sister and I are candidates to be living donors for him so he doesn't have to go on the transplant waiting list if he meets all the processes. Um, he meets all the tests and everything to be um, on a transplant list. And then we would get tested to see if we're a match to be a living donor for him. And then we would go into the hospital together and they would um, procure the organ from one of us and then put the organ in him. But we'd still be able to live with one organ. Merle, why do minorities have a higher need for transplants? That's, that's, you know, that's an interesting question. When you talk about um, medical history, you talk about our lifestyles, you talk about what we eat. But more importantly, we seem to have um, two major things that contribute to that. And that is diabetes, hypertension, and heart disease. And so, and really, those are undiagnosed heart disease and diabetes. Because when I mentioned earlier, sometimes we don't know. We wait till late. My brother had undiagnosed heart disease. So he didn't know. And that led to his kidneys uh, being blown out and him now being on dialysis and now needing a donor. So he's lived with this for 20 years and he didn't know. It's a, And it's true. It's a silent killer. Now, you may have symptoms, but you choose to ignore them. And how many people have grandmothers or big mamas or families who always said when people look at their ankles or you looked at them and they're like, oh, your ankles are swollen. Oh, baby, that's a touch of sugar. That's a touch of sugar, right? You know, we seem to, um, you know, we, we, we wave it off, right? We just put it out. Now that those are signs and symptoms of something larger that's at play here. And so because we have high diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, you know, and those things lead to, you know, end-stage failure. I won't just say kidney, but end-stage organ failure. Mm. Wow. And, and you, t you talked about Bobby. JC, you want to introduce, introduce our next guest oh, coming to uh, the conversation? Absolutely. Well, we want you to stick around, Marilyn, because we, we're going to bring you back in, especially for the panel. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure to introduce uh, Bobby Howard. You know, I... Um, a little bit about Bobby. He is the director of the Multicultural Donation Educational Program LifeLink of uh, Georgia. I think it's up in Atlanta. You know, so um, uh, one of the things about Bobby is after suffering severe kidney disease and recovering a kidney transplant, Mr. Howard has dedicated his life to helping others who face life-threatening health challenges. As director of LifeLink of Georgia Multicultural donation education program, he continued to lead, collaborate efforts with local, national coalitions and community partners to spread the important message of organ donation. 
He is president of the NFL Formal Players Association. He's a, a former football player, you know, so <laughs> played with the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> and a couple <laughs> other teams. And so he uh, leads the chapter of Cowboys fan, JC. <laughs> <laughs> he also serves on the board of Donor Life America and serves as NFL Heads Up Football Ambassadors for the Youth Football. You know, without any further delay, let's bring Bobby on and uh, let's get some more information from him. Welcome to the show, Bobby. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. Wow. You know, one of the things that um, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, you are a a recipient uh, of a kidney transplant. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, uh, It's a long story, but I'm going to give you guys the short version. Um, After my football career, ended um, in the NFL. I came to Georgia to visit uh, a brother of mine that um, hadn't seen in years. I'm the youngest of 11, and there's a big age between, and he was one of my older siblings. And uh, probably two days after I was here, I was very sick. I had a headache that was out of this world. And not experiencing anything like that, you know, my sister-in-law said, take some Tylenol to go away. We tried that. That didn't happen. Uh, my blood pressure at that time was 268 over 157, and um, I was 29 years old. And so uh, going to the hospital and being diagnosed with with kidney failure, it was a shock to me. It should not have been a shock, but it was a shock to me. The shock part was that I thought I was in such great shape that nothing could happen to me. But the unshocking part to me was uh, my mother had a kidney transplant back in 1976. And I have several family members who've had transplants and who are now actually waiting. But um, going through that whole process and not truly understanding, I knew a little bit about um, dialysis and that whole process. But I was real very young when my mother had her transplant. But so uh, going through it and, and starting dialysis, my thought was that I can get the transplant the next day. And when I told them that, I want, you know, I'll take the option of a transplant and they explained the process, I started dialysis. And, you know, dialysis, it, it saved my life. But I tell you, I wouldn't wish that treatment on anyone um, in the world. It's a very rigorous and, and, and rough treatment. In the body, the longer you stay on it, your body starts to really deteriorate. And um, it, it goes down and starts shutting down. Um, but it's the best thing that we have. So for me, my, my weight was, was short. Um, I was on, uh, um, on dialysis for seven and a half months. But I was the fourth person that was called on that day to receive the kidney. The first person they called, um, he never responded. The second person they called, um, he was on a cruise and he called back and said he couldn't get back. The third person they called was a young lady um, who was in the hospital, but she had some other medical issues going on. And she told him, don't fix me, give it to the next person. And I was going to be that next person. And um, it's truly been a blessing because it really taught me the true value of life. It taught me the value of life. And, you know, being an athlete and being in the limelight, we sort of get spoiled a little bit. And we have this ego and we think that nothing can happen to us. But it brought me back down to earth. It humbled me. And it gave me an experience of saying, wow, you know, I need to really do something positive with my life. And, and that's how I ended up doing the job that I do today. But that whole process has really made me a better person. The person you see today was not the person I was when I played football. I was arrogant. Everything was about me. I was invincible. No one could beat me. No one could touch me. But it, 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 it you know, it's, it's amazing how sometimes health challenges puts us back into perspective what life should really be about. Wow. You know, I tell you, we're going to take a station break, but we're going to come back and continue talking to Bobby Howard. It's your life. I'm James Gooley. This is Ray Leonard. James and Ray have more motivation and inspiration for life's challenges still to come with It's Your Life on The Answer. Build a better business today with Launch Team Consulting. Launch Team Consulting provides human resources, change management, and ethics training for businesses and organizations looking to create a culture of excellence. Launch Team Consulting is here to increase revenues, productivity, and teach you how to launch your business to new heights. With over 90 years of combined experience, the staff at Launch Team Consulting can help improve business performance and strategy. Visit LaunchTeamConsulting.com to learn how we strive to help business owners 
owners develop a solid foundation and solid building blocks of leadership so that they can flourish. Launch Team Consulting also offers executive coaching too to help business leaders achieve professional goals. Contact Launch Team Consulting at 619-940-6362. That's 619-940-6362. Or visit LaunchTeamConsulting.com. That's LaunchTeamConsulting.com. Putting you on the path to success with Launch Team Consulting. It's Your Life is Back. For more lessons on life, visit CooleyFoundation.org. Now here's your hosts, James Cooley and Ray Leonard Jr. Welcome back to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley. And this is Ray Leonard Jr. Wow. So- so Bobby, before before we uh, went went to break, you now you were you were talking about you know your experience, and I, I want to uh, ask you, you no, know, or you can tell our audience, just kind of like what was the the kidney dialysis process like? Uh, because I, t- I told you when I you know, we were doing some some work with the uh, the organization that, that, that did dialysis, and uh, you know, I, I sat in there and watched some of those uh, folks and the patients. I mean, they were tough. I mean, the nurses were tough too. Just just to mm-hmm. watch, you know, I, I'd like the audience to understand what that you actually go through. Well, it, it, it's an extreme process, and I'm taking you back 20, 25, 26 years um, since I've had my transplant. But back then, um, going through that process where I chose to do hemodialysis, which was the dialysis that was most popular then, um, where they put a um, – I used my own veins in my arm where they connected to made of the major artery, and that's where they stuck one needle in. And um, the size of the needle wasn't no small needle. If you can just imagine the size of a pencil – was to pull the blood out and because I wasn't using the restroom um, my blood went through what they call an artificial kidney and it went through the machine and it cleaned out it took all all, all the toxins and the poisons that I had because I wasn't urinating um, my fluid and those things out and it brought the blood back to my body now what that process does because you don't urinate and and, uh, your body's not filtering the way it should be you have um, very strict diet um Back then, I could only have 32 ounces of liquid a day, um, eight ounces of meat. I couldn't have red meat at all. Um, um, when you, you know, had to weigh out everything and then that 32 ounces, you know, you had to strategically um, um, adjust how much, how much fluid you're going to intake. If I ate a piece of watermelon, I had to weigh it, the weigh the contents of how much fluid that was to deduct that off of my fluid intake. Um, you couldn't drink any color. So primarily, if, it's, if you're going to be water, you could have Sprite. Um, your salt intake was at zero. Um, and going through that dialysis process, they do this thing where they take you down to your dry weight. And so for me, when I got sick, I was like, say, 230 pounds. And they use kilos, but uh, pound is in there. So they had to take me down to basically 172 pounds, which was my – and anything below that, my body would cramp up. So the, the most important thing in between your treatments – that machine can take off roughly about 10 pounds of body weight. So there would be days I would go in, I would have on a pair of jeans. I'd get off the jeans were too big because I would lose five to six of taking me back down to my dry weight. Wow. So, and, and, and in that whole process, it, it, it messes with your mind frame because I couldn't eat the things I used to eat. And I had to change, but you have all these people around you who are eating these things that you used to eat. And you said you had to adjust. Um, but that machine, the overall process, and you can imagine, even like today, I'm always cold. I don't have on a jacket today. Normally, I walk around with a jacket on if I'm indoors, because when blood is coming out of your body, it's going through that machine. That machine is warm because it's plugged in. It warms your body up, and it returns it back to your body. So it, it, if your body temperature, and if you were to walk into a dialysis center, you'll see everyone wrapped up in a blanket. Yeah, it's pretty cold. In there. It's pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, because they're cold, and 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 um, and it does um strange things to your body. And you know, when you hear folks who pass away and they were on dialysis, it really wasn't the kidney that caused them to die. It was the other things. You know, you have heart failure. You have all these other things because you know you have some folks who do very well, and some folks who don't do very well. You have some folks who just actually give up. Um, it, it was real rough going from 230 pounds to day I was sick to the day I had my transplant, 172 pounds. That's 58 pounds of weight in a seven-month period. Wow. That's, that's, can you tell us a little bit about your role as director of LifeLink? Well, I, I don't want to repeat exactly what Marion stated because we kind of do the same thing, um, just do it in a different part of the country. Um, but as I stated, I've been at LifeLink. LifeLink hired me 
two and a half months after I received my transplant, um, my transplant surgeon was the medical director. And I told him, I was joking and said, I don't have a job. I don't have any money. And in a week I got a phone call and did the um, uh, interview and got hired within a week. And I've been ever since. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and I've been there ever since. And um, one of the things of, of my role at LifeLink is that um, I'm in charge of all the multicultural outreach that we do here in the state. Um, and not to, you know, regurgitate words um, that Marion stated, but uh, with our population here in the state of Georgia, we have a large number of African-Americans. Our Hispanic population is growing. So we needed to face some of the fears like, you know, Marion gave you some national statistics. But just here in Georgia, 97 percent of the patients waiting for kidney transplant in Georgia are African-American. And when you look at um, the overall number, 73% of the folks on waiting on a transplant here in Georgia are African-American. So those numbers are very um, staggering. So my role was is to make sure that my team provides the proper information and to allow people to make the best decision for them and their families. And that's my role. Um, you know, I battle and battle all the time. After each year, we want to figure out who has the most African-American donors. Um, and we both, our, both of our organizations do a very good job of working with the multicultural communities. And it, it's just truly been a blessing, as I stated earlier, to, to be someone who has a transplant, to go through that whole process, not only to be able to share my experiences, but to share how helpful that we can be as, as not just African-Americans, but just as people. If we just take time to consider other folks at the time that our life is over, you know, it's just a wonderful gift that we can give to someone else. Excellent. And so I, I got I have a question for for actually you know, both of you. Um, you know, talking about, you know, who can don who can donate. Why is it important for, for people of, of all different communities to, to donate? So Mary, if you want to you want to answer that first. Sure. It's it's important. Uh, as Bobby mentioned, when you're on dialysis. Dialysis is a treatment. It is a treatment. A transplant is a cure for whatever end-stage organ failure you're in because it gives you a second chance at life. And anybody can donate to anybody. That is the beauty. Anybody can donate to anybody. If we have the right blood type and we we have the right size, Mm -hmm. regardless of ethnicity or financial security or sex or gender, Anybody can donate to anybody. So it's important for us all to participate in the process because, you know, we have a lot of mis- misconceptions around religion. God wants us to take our organs with us. No, no. If you go to Revelation, you're going to get a new body. So you can't say that, right? Um, no, the organs are not going to do any good in the ground. We bury healthy organs every single day that could take care of people. When Bobby started in this business 30 years ago, there were 10,000 people on the waiting list. Mm-hmm. Wow. Today, there are over 114,000 people waiting for organs. Our system in the United States is the best transplant system in the world. We transplant more people, but we all have, we have 50 states. We have an opt-in system, meaning you have to say whether you want to be an organ donor. So you still have free will to make that decision. But we educate Bobby and I so that people will understand that just participate. Nothing's going to happen to you. We're not. If you register, nobody knows that you're a registered donor. We're not going to follow you home when you leave the DMV and hit you over the head and take your organs. We're not going to go to your garage. We're not going to follow you down the street. Because looking at me, looking at all four of us on this phone, you don't know that we're registered organ donors. You don't know that. And here's the other fact around that. The reason why people should donate is because we can donate to each other. But because we bury so many organs, especially in our communities, you know, people talk about these myths about, you know, black men coming up missing, black women coming up missing, organs coming up missing. Here's the thing that we, Bobby and I, really need people to understand. When people die and they die on the street, they are dead on the street. They cannot be organ donors. They cannot. Organ donation can only take place in a hospital, in a sterile environment, with a sterile OR, with with professional transplant surgeons, docs, and nurses. That's where transplant happens. Now, you can die on the street, and you can be a tissue donor, right, if your life is preserved. But the EMTs, 
Um, the first responders, they're all going to do what they can to save your life. Not to be an organ donor. They're going to save your life because they've taken an oath, but they're going to save your life because they want to get you back to your family. And I can tell you, I, I, I know um, JC sent me a note when he said, what does it mean to be a donor wife? Well, a year ago, I was, um, my husband and I are avid bike riders, healthy, avid bike riders. We went out for our normal bike ride. It, so funny he kidded me because in Chicago again it's cold and so I always said I won't ride unless it's 65 degrees right and so temperature hit 65 he said let's go we went out we rolled it was beautiful we talked and we ride and we're on about our fifth mile and all of a sudden we were talking and he went ahead of me and he just fell off his bike he just fell off his bike and he had a heart attack and the first responders came. They did everything they could to take care of my husband, to save my husband. And um, But it was too late. So we got to the hospital, and, and they were taking care of him. Um, one of my good friends is a trauma surgeon, head trauma surgeon. And he came and just said, Marianne, you can't do anything. You know, it was too late. And I said, but I want him to be a tissue donor. He said, absolutely. He can be a tissue donor. But he had been down a little bit too long. But in that moment, just because I work at Gift of Hope, um, I wasn't thinking that I work at Gift of Hope. I was thinking I, that's my best friend and he's gone, right? And so, but I still thought about other people. And since that time, I've gotten a beautiful letter from a woman who received my husband's cornea. So you can give people a second chance. And what she said to me was that my husband died before I got my transplant, so I couldn't see him. Wow, wow. I couldn't see him. So my husband gave her the gift of sight. And that's why it's important because you can create a lasting legacy. You can allow someone to have a second birthday, to see their grandchildren, to go to graduation, and, and to see again. So that's why it's important because everybody across this world can donate to anybody. I don't know who, who, who Bobby's donor family was, um, but white people donate to Asian people. Asian people donate to black people. Black people donate to, to white people. The whole circle, it's a circle of donation. And so you want to make sure that, you know, I ask people when I go to churches, if you had an opportunity to save a life, would you? Wow. You know, we're going to have to take a station break, uh, but we're going to come back and continue to talk to Bobby and Marion. It's your life. I'm James Cooley. And this is Ray Leonard Jr. James and Ray have more motivation and inspiration for life's challenges still to come with It's Your Life on The Answer. The J.C. Cooley Foundation is a nonprofit organization that was started in October of 2014. The J.C. Cooley Foundation continues to strive to expand its programs and offerings to the youth, young adults, and citizens of our great communities nationwide and overseas. We hope that you'll be able to take part in one or more of the many exciting events that we're offering this year and experience firsthand the pride we take in supporting our cause. It's our mission to equip the youth of today for the challenges of tomorrow. And we rely heavily on the generosity of individuals and business owners for support. Without the assistance of community-minded individuals just like you, we wouldn't be able to serve our youth each year. We ask that you make a commitment to support our annual appeal by making a cash donation. This year's goal is $50,000. Your generosity will assist us in making a difference in the lives of the youth in our community. You can give online at CooleyFoundation.org. Remember that every donation makes a difference regardless of size. The J.C. Cooley Foundation thanks you in advance for your contribution. It's Your Life is Back. For more lessons on life, visit CooleyFoundation.org. Now here's your hosts, James Cooley and Ray Leonard Jr. Welcome back to It's Your Life. I'm James Cooley. This is Ray Leonard Jr. Wow, so, Ray. We got to talk about our sponsor. You know, he's our sponsor, Joshua Goldsmith, is making this show happen. Yeah, yeah, Goldsmith Financial. You know, it, it's it's great to have, be able to have a, a supportive company like that that's uh, that's making this all possible. So so we appreciate it. So make sure you guys check out Goldsmith Financial. Yeah. So, you know, I, I tell you. Left, JC, you know, I, I was, you had a question that you wanted to ask, and we ain't know whether it's gonna be Marion or Bobby to answer. <laughs> well, uh, you know, question to Bobby. I do know that in um, uh, any nonprofit organization, I like I have one myself, and it requires funding, and it, it requires uh, people actually getting a chance to understand 
and understand what the challenges are. So my question to you, Bob, is what are some of the challenges that you guys are, might have uh, when it comes to getting support for what you do? Well, let's face the Multicultural Affairs and Transplantation, AMAT, which Mary and I are both proud members of, and Marion actually is the sitting president, and I'm a past president. Um, your biggest challenges you have and what we have at AMAT is funding, and I'm pretty sure that's the biggest challenge with a lot of is, is, is funding, is that we struggle and we fight to have a mark with funding um, across the country. We're a national organization, and we try to serve the whole United States with our members and our educational efforts and then spread the word about the good word about uh, how our organ and tissue donation can help, help heal and save lives. So funding our biggest challenge in membership also is that, you know, with a lot of things going on in, in this country and in this world with, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all those different avenues and different social organizations, we struggle sometimes to retain and recruit new members to our organization. Uh, so I think those are the biggest two challenges. And even with some of the nonprofits boards that I sit on, those are our major challenges that we have. And AMAT is no different with the challenges of funding. Excellent. Thanks. So, so tell, tell our audience where they can support both of you guys. Well, um, um, our, our national um, organization, AMAT, you can go to our website, which is A-M-A-T, number one dot org. Um, you can find all the information about organ and tissue donation there. So reach Marion and an I and all a host of other transplant and donation professionals across the country um, who are who are just as knowledgeable um, and just as passionate that Marion and I both are. And um, that's where you could reach us at. Okay. Hey, Bobby. Uh, Mary, I, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you also about, uh, you know, talk about the waiting list. Um, with so many people in, in this country, why is, is the waiting list so long? Because we're an opt-in system and people have to have to say yes to donation. They have to say yes to wanting to be an organ and tissue donor. And so because we don't have that many people and because, you know, we don't have time to really get into the metrics and the, the, the really nitty gritty statistics, but only 2% of people die every single day in a manner that allows them to be an organ donor. So mm -hmm. to be an organ donor, it is the result of a traumatic brain injury, an anoxious injury. Um, it is the result of a heart attack or maybe um, you, you fall, you know, and get hit on the head. That's a brain injury. You suffer a cardiac um, episode. Um, you know, you have an illness, but because the doctors in the hospital are doing everything they can to take care of you, they have to determine whether you can be an organ or tissue donor. And sometimes you're not able to be that. And sometimes you just don't die in a manner that it would allow it. And so that's why we have, you know, so many people waiting. And Bobby will tell you, he was fortunate. The waiting list can be in some states five to seven years. We have 5,000 people in Illinois waiting. And so the average wait here in Illinois is anywhere from three to five to seven years um, because we just don't have enough organs to go around. And remember those two numbers, 30 years ago, 10,000, today, 114,000. So that means people are getting sicker and sicker and they're getting on the list. And that's just the people who are on the list. We're not talking about the people who are still waiting wow. for an organ and who are not, haven't been worked up to be on the list. So we have a lot of sick people in this country and across the world. Hey, Bobby, I got a question for you. What type of, yes, sir. What type of uh, organs are you, you guys looking for? I mean, I know it's a lot of organs in the body, but uh, what exactly uh, well, is the needs? Well, what the needs are, you have kidney, you have heart, lungs, pancreas, um, liver, and in test, small intestines, those are the organs that, that we recover. Um, and as Marion stated, two of those you can do while you're living. That's kidney and liver. The, other, the others are all deceased um, when someone um, has those severe trauma to the head uh, and some kind of brain injury, or they can be organ donors. So what is, what is the time frame that, you know, from when someone who wants to be, who's, a, who's an organ donor, uh, have, have to have that uh, organ transferred to somebody's waiting? It's pretty quick. And as Bobby mentioned, 
remember there were three people that they called before they got to him. So the, the, orga the organizations that Bobby and I work for, we have a team called um, allocation specialists. And so they work with the hospitals once we gain consent, they work with the hospitals to try to place the organs with the transplant center and then to manage the transplant list um, that is managed by UNOS, which is the United Network for Organ Sharing. And so um, it's, it's fairly quick once we do it because um, organs, um, kidneys can do about 24, 40, 48 hours, the heart and the liver about 12 to 15 hours outside of the body. And so the transplant has to occur quickly when we decide um, to go into that OR. You can't mess around. The heart is a little bit less. You know, that's about three to five hours. Um, and so you want to make sure that, you know, once it's a go, it's a go time. And so when they say that people who work in organ procurement organizations, we are like adrenaline junkies. We love to be able to save lives because we work in organizations where every single day we save a life. We go home every single day knowing we've saved a life. And um, it's interesting, I was telling Bobby today, um, prior to COVID, donation has been strong, right? This is the seventh straight consecutive year that we've had a great increase, but COVID hit, everything stopped. But now, on target, like my organization today, we hit 120 organs transplanted, which is going to be a record, surpass a record that we've had. But that means we're really saving more lives. How would you, uh, what would you tell the folks on how to go about uh, being a donor? Well, what I would tell everyone is to make sure you educate yourself. Um, you know, you can use the Internet, um, Google, use it in a positive manner, educate yourself. And then when you go to renew your driver's license, um, if you go to your driver's license officer, you're getting a new one. Um, when you go, you can ask there. Or if you don't want to wait that far, you can always go to registerme.org. And you can register right there online across the country. That's a national waiting uh, a, a don't donation list that you can register right there. Um, and those are the best ways to do it. And, you know, what I always like to tell tell people when I go and speak to them is that we have to look at this thing realistically and what it's truly all about. And, and, and what it is is that if we continue to sit by and do absolutely nothing, zero lives will be saved. And that's truly the bottom line, is that we have to take action and not be reactionary but be more proactive in making our decisions now because when we do talk to families, sometimes families are in shock that their loved one has made that decision. So we also preach, make sure you talk to your family, share your decision with your family and friends. And I would say, start the conversation today, not wait till there's a funeral, not wait till something tragic has happened. Start it today at family reunions, at picnics, at, at barbecues, at weddings, you know, just at the Sunday dinner table, start the conversation today, because here's the thing. We plan for everything else in this world. We plan for vacation. We're planning what we're going to do when COVID is over, right? We don't plan for the one thing that's going to happen to everybody in this world, and that is death. Is there a cost uh, to the donors uh, or the donor's family? No. There's no cost to the, to the donor's family, not at all. And you can still have a funeral. Um, although we don't know what type of funerals you can have now post-COVID, right? Um, but you can still have a funeral. You, you can still go to heaven. You, you can go wherever you believe your faith is. You can still have an open casket, um, and you can create a lasting legacy. Wow. You know, we, we're coming to the end, but we want to give uh, both of you guys an opportunity to tell our listeners how they can reach you all to get more information or, or and also to become a donor. So, uh, Marion, how can our listener audience reach you? Okay, they can reach me, again, at Gift of Hope, Organ and Tissue Donor Network. We're in Itasca, Illinois. Um, they can call me. I don't mind my cell phone number because I want people to call. Because here's what I want, is I want people to get the truth. I don't want people to be sitting around having mis and misconceptions and saying, 
oh, you know, so-and-so was rolled up in the carpet and their organs were missing. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a guy call me on a radio show and say, what about all the black girls are missing? I said, sir, let me explain something to you. The fact that they're missing and the organs haven't shown up anywhere means that organ and tissue transplantation had nothing to do with that. That's another story. So call their 58 OPOs, call the ones in your state, in your region, ask how you can volunteer, how you can help. Um, As Bobby said, amat1.org. Please call us. Please participate. Um, September 14th through the 18th, we're going to have a virtual conference. The information is going to be on our website. We, I implore you to come and get information about the truth about multicultural communities and donations. And you, Bobby? Yep, you, you can reach me uh, uh, once again at amat1.org. Um, and then you can reach me on my office line. You can reach me at 770 770- Six two five five three four five. You can reach me there, and and we are more than welcome to and available to guide you to someone who can answer all the questions that you need. Yeah. Well, well th- right. thank you both. Thank you both for, for sharing the information. Uh, we appreciate you both for, for for being on and being so open and candid, telling your stories. Uh, now, we also want to thank our sponsor once again, Goldsmith Financial and JC. It's, it's been a great show, man. It's, I've learned so much today. Man, I. I know a whole lot more uh, just by researching and, and actually listening to uh, these great guests explain the process. And uh, I know it's important. And then um, my wife and I are, are going to be donors ourselves. We talked about that last week when I was doing the research. And, <laughs> and I, I am so uh, happy that you guys took the time to uh, come on the show and share this information with us. So, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Ray, it's that time again. You know, that. Uh, hey, man, I, I could do this all day, but unfortunately, <laughs> they only give us a certain amount of time to talk. So, <laughs> yeah, but again, hey, thanks, Marion. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks to all our great listeners out there. Thanks to our, our great producers, Todd and Matt and Vicki. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank It's your life. I'm James Cooley. And this is Ray Leonard Jr. And we'll be back next week at the same time. Same thing. Stay healthy, folks. Join James and Ray next week at this same time for more It's Your Life, where you'll learn how to dream big, think big, and be big. For more about James Cooley and Ray Leonard Jr., how you can support the show or become a guest, visit CooleyFoundation.org. Come back next week at this same time for more motivation and inspiration on how you can become equipped today for the challenges of tomorrow.